Okay, Luke chapter 2. Uh, just a reminder, beginning the first Sunday in January, we're switching from the New American Standard to the English Standard Version, the ESV. So, not that it matters that much, just so you know. You know that uh, Mary and Joseph had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of a taxation uh, placed on the nation by Rome? And in verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And I wonder, how am I going to approach this familiar story? I've already talked to you about my frustration with Christmas messages. But um, let's start right here and now where we're sitting in today's world. Uh, soon we'll visit Mary and Joseph in their own time and place, but let's, let's just start here. Um, because we're 2,000 years and half a world away from them. I mean, why do we even bother with uh, a story so old and f- far away? <laughs> I don't know. I'm losing my faith. Uh, <laughs> no, but why? I mean, well, because we know it's written for us, right? I mean, um, it's not for entertainment. I mean, it, it could be if we're reading it you know, for only the 33rd time, but it's been over 100 times. Uh, We're reading it because there's something here for us, and almost every time we come to it, we find another layer of something here for us. Um, Of course, this raises the next question, what is here for us? And we might ask, well, what did Luke intend? What was he hoping uh, to happen through this story of Jesus that he tells And I think the answer there is is obvious. He wants us to know Jesus. And, pardon me, he knows that this story he writes is for everyone. He knows it because the angels said so right here in this chapter, verse 10. They told the shepherds, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. The story is for all the people. For us, Luke wants us to know Jesus, to encounter him and experience his presence and open ourselves to it so that he can change our lives. I have this, I guess I should say suspicion. It's not actually to the level of belief and I don't know that I would argue it from scripture, but I'm pretty sure that this is so. I think that everyone on the planet is on a spiritual journey and I think that God's spirit is speaking to every single person on the planet It doesn't matter where they live uh, or what religion they were raised in. God's spirit is speaking to everyone. And when he speaks, we either say yes or no. And if we say yes, we go forward in our spiritual growth. And if we say no, we are stuck right there. And I think that Luke had something like this in mind, that this story will open up the spiritual journey for people And if they start saying yes to Jesus, he's going to change their lives. He's going to change everything. Um, Now, it's not that we are going to find 
the meaning of our lives in the story, but what we do find is that our lives have a meaning. And then that gets worked out in, in every day as we, as we move forward. Um, but the key to living that meaning is here in the manger. So we, we come to the story and we look in the manger and we're reminded life has a meaning and he is giving it to us. I think perhaps, again, speaking for myself, those of us who shop online have become very spoiled. Uh, In the past, when I ordered books from used bookstores, and sometimes it'd be up in LA or across the nation, a book I just had to have that was out of print, um, I would be told that it would take six to eight weeks for delivery. When I first started shopping on Amazon.com, it was two to three weeks for delivery. And now I can choose next day delivery. Um, it's incredible. Uh, you know, uh, for the, those of us who have no sense of delayed gratification uh, and no patience, you know, I, I can have this tomorrow for only another seven nine ninety five. Let's do it. Um, anyway, some things we cannot rush, like a pregnancy. We got to wait out those nine months. Of course, that's not so bad. I mean, think of elephants; they're pregnant for almost two years. <clears throat> Does an elephant even know that it's pregnant? I, I think the mother just is like walking along, and one day this thing drops out, and she turns and goes, oh. <laughs> a, a baby. I guess I better take care of it. Anyway, <clears throat> Luke, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem when the package arrives. Her days are completed uh, for her to give birth. Or as we would say, her pregnancy had come to full term and she's now delivering. But also the days were completed for God's promise to be fulfilled. The promise that he made to Mary by the angel Gabriel. But also the promise of the the prophets um, as far back as Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter uh, 3, he promises Eve that from her will come one who will crush the head of the, sa- uh, the serpent. And then Moses says, there'll be a prophet like me that will come. And, and Paul quotes that passage pointing to Jesus and then all of the prophets. Uh, the package has finally arrived and, and uh, they get to begin to enjoy it. Now I say that as a reminder. You know, Christmas cards... Um, that depict this scene, this little manger scene with Mary and Joseph and the baby, uh, they, they generally have a warm glow uh, around them, don't they? Um, and <clears throat> it indicates uh, not only the love of the family here, the blessed family, but it also indicates the sacred, that surrounds them. 
And, um, and when we read Luke's story, we don't get a warm glow. He doesn't, he doesn't create it with literary devices. It's pretty much <clears throat> just information, plain and simple. You know, time was up, Mary had her baby, wrapped it up, put it in the manger. Oh, okay, and let's move on. <clears throat> well, um, since there's no infusion of glory into the story as he tells it, we need to remind ourselves that a miracle is unfolding here. It all looks so plain. I, I don't think if we stood there, we'd, we'd see the miracle. I think that if we had photographs of Bible stories, actual photographs, it would ruin it for us. What if we're looking at the 12 disciples of Jesus and we think we can pick out Judas Iscariot? And we, we you know, yeah, look at that sinister face. Look, look at those you know, furrowed eyebrows. Look at those beady eyes. And then um, we turn to the back of the photo and find out, oh no, that, that was Jesus. <coughs> I think it just, because we don't know, you know. We can't tell one from the other. It would ruin it for us. <coughs> so um, here's this tiny human life a baby that cries and nurses at its mother's breast, but within it beats the heart of God. That's what we're really looking at. So it deserves the warm glow. From ancient times, parents swaddled newborn babies. Um, and it still goes on a lot today in Syria, Lebanon, I mean, in Mideast countries. Um, Yet, is hit or miss here in the States. In fact, you can purchase online great swaddling carriers. I mean, they do all the swaddling for you. You just drop them in like a cocoon and, uh, you know, just tighten the, the uh, drawstrings and <laughs> a swaddled baby. Uh, I actually think it's a good idea. Now, according to Bruce Molina, Swaddling went out of style among upper-class Western Europeans in the 18th century as much for social as for scientific reasons, coming to be considered an unnatural restraint on human freedom. I'm sure there are protests, set our babies free. (laughs) Um, uh, I learned how to swaddle in my natural childbirth classes And I found it useful. Uh, it's an easy way to keep babies warm, to keep them from scratching themselves with those tiny but deadly fingernails. And, uh, you know, just wrapping. Of course, my oldest son, um, <clears throat> he successfully freed himself every single time. I thought I'd had him um, swaddled perfectly. You know, he can't move a muscle, and an arm would break free, and then a leg would be kicking, and uh, it's just like, oh, you know. I'm, I'm sure that today he could escape from a straitjacket <laughs> if he were put in one, uh, and he probably should be sometimes. But, um, uh, you know, here's what it is. You don't need to know this, but I think it's important. His body temperature runs really hot. He's always been a little hot brick. And um, I think it's just to, to be swaddled like that, uh, let alone constrained. He's, he's, he's always for liberation. But 
he just runs hot, so it's just too much to be wrapped up like that. Claustrophobic. But I can't help but wonder, where was the midwife? Why is Mary doing this? Um, this was not just one blanket that she learned how to fold properly. These were strips of cloth that she bound the baby with like a mummy, and they bound them pretty tight. And babies were swaddled uh, sometimes as long as nine months. The philosopher Plato said swaddle them for two years. And they believed that that actually strengthened the baby and, and uh, perfected their posture. They, you know, they kept the back straight and... And then um, the baby fighting and resisting against this would uh, develop muscles. So after two years, you unswaddle them. They got big biceps. <laughs> they, um, normally, I'm so sorry. Um, I, I really intended this to be a sweet Christmas story. You know, just you know, stir the emotions. <laughs> I, I'm just not that kind of guy. Anyway. Um, Normally, whatever family Joseph had living there in Bethlehem, um, the women would help Mary. They'd be there to, to take care of things for her. So it's, it's interesting to me that after giving birth, now she has to, to do all the work. Or maybe it's something that Mary didn't trust anyone else to do. Maybe, no, no, he's my baby. I have to do this. Um, that, that she has to wrap this Christmas present herself. Whenever I read that she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, my mind automatically jumps to the end of the story after Jesus died and Joseph of Arimathea got permission to take his body and bury it. It says, and he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb. So at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life, he is wrapped and laid in a manger or laid in a tomb. Other hands are caring for him and other hands are, are providing these services to him. And he is the recipient of, of the care of others. Loving hands wrapped the baby and placed him in a manger. And loving hands wrapped the body and placed it in a tomb. If there is a warm glow of the divine there's also a dark shadow that passes over the face of the baby because these really are connected. Um, <clears throat> the infant did not say these words, but later on the grown man did say, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Jesus feeling the strain of the cross that, that lies before him. And, and we cannot separate these two, the cradle and the cross, uh, in John's gospel, he says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. It's not save me, but accomplish your purposes through what has to happen. And, and this is that dark shadow. So it's not all shimmer and shine. In the crib, we find him adorable. In the cross, we find him magnificent. Because that really is where uh, his hour of being glorified occurs. It was not that unusual for a baby's first bed to be a manger. Now, I always thought of a manger as uh, a wooden structure with, with cross pieces and slats. <clears throat> 
uh, it wasn't. It was a stone trough. Everything in Israel is stone. Um, it, when you've got so many stones, you might as well use them, you know, to brush your teeth, to, you know, everything. <laughs> I mean, it's, so, um, so we've seen them in Israel. Uh, these troughs with uh, is like a rectangle with a groove in the top where they would put the the food for the animals. And in the homes of peasants, the manger would oftentimes separate the living area of the human family and their animals. It would be like a partition. So if she's giving birth in the area of the animals, the manger's right there. Uh, there's straw in it. It's going to be soft, perhaps. That's where she lays the baby. <clears throat> and I think that's worth noticing that this was a natural uh, furnishing of the peasant's home. That Jesus Christ entered the world to, to peasant parents in a peasant home. And through his whole life and ministry, he never acted like he was too good for anyone. He had no problem referring to himself as a servant. He had no problem being a servant to his disciples. Luke explains that there wasn't room for them in the inn. Uh, now, by the inn, he doesn't mean anything like a hotel or a bed and breakfast. Uh, there's another word for that. Remember when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan and he he finds this guy between Jerusalem and Jericho and he's been beaten and left for dead and he takes him into Jericho and there he takes him to an inn and that actually was a, a public uh, place that provided accommodations. It makes sense. Jericho is on one of the major arteries connecting the south and the north. It went through the Rift Valley and it was an oasis. It's the place where you wanted to stay if you were part of a caravan or you're traveling or you're a merchant. So there were places like that in Jericho. Bethlehem was in the middle of nowhere, and it led to nowhere. So it's just this village, maybe a two-hour walk from Jerusalem, and there wouldn't be uh, any revenue in having a, a hotel there. The word that's translated in later on uh, when Jesus sends his disciples into Jerusalem to get a room for the Last Supper, uh, the room that he, he asks for there is translated guest room. Go and ask, where's the guest room for us to celebrate uh, Passover? And uh, same word translated in here. So it's a guest room. And uh, many of the peasant homes, if they could afford it, would build a room addition and that's for their extended family. Um, in, uh, in Arab neighborhoods, it's real common even today for uh, a father to build a home for his children and then add on to, for his children's families and you know, just have everyone living in the, you know, the same compound together. And, that's always been a lovely idea to me. Uh, and in fact, my dad wanted to have a ranch where all of his kids were, you know, all the brood was together on the ranch. Um, well, 
There was a guest room at, at this house, but Mary and Joseph were bumped out of it, probably because someone of a higher status arrived and they had to give it up to them. So um, we tend to think that they had just arrived in Bethlehem uh, you know, that night and couldn't find a place to stay, and then she goes into labor. They had probably been in Bethlehem for a little while, um, and they, they just had to make do. You understand that, right? My parents, um, their, their first, my dad's first pastorate was in Tucson, Arizona. And that's where I was born. Only one in our family born outside of California. And um, my mom and dad lived in the back of the church. It wasn't made to be a parsonage, but my dad turned it into a parsonage. And for their, their shower, he ran a hose from an outside spigot into the kitchen window where they had a tub, and uh, that's where we were bathed. Um, they, they had to make do. And much of my early life was mom and dad making do, making it work. And uh, I never knew the difference. The story jumps abruptly now from the manger to the hills outside the village. And this is where the glory shines, and it falls on shepherds. Uh, the Christmas gift is for them, of all people, shepherds. Uh, the angel says, for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And there would be people at that time who would say, well, no one needs saving more than the shepherds. Uh, they, they were seen as uh, a bottom-rung job. I mean, the only people below them would be the disabled people who had to beg and could not care for themselves. But the shepherds were considered um, uh, thieves because sometimes they would graze their sheep on someone else's property. They were considered slackers because they weren't home with the wife and the kids helping out there. They were always gone with their sheep out into the fields. So um, they didn't have a good reputation, but they play a key role. In fact, it's not having a good reputation that makes their role so important. Uh, now, there's a, a way to be romantic about shepherds, like you know, King David, a child of Bethlehem, who, who also uh, led his sheep around the hills near that village. And, uh, and then David, who says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's a beautiful, serene thought. Um, and then also there's our good shepherd, Jesus, that he says, I'm the good shepherd. And my sheep know me, and they hear my voice, and they won't follow another. But the simple fact is that um, these were not highly regarded men who got this message from God. So I see the baby swaddled, sleeping in the manger, and nearby Mary uh, trying to sleep also. Uh, it's been said that the process of delivery of a child for a woman is like running a marathon. You know, that there's been um, you know, several hours of intense 
our childbirth teachers said, said, don't say pain, say intense. It gets intense. Uh, Intense work that the body does, and there's this flush of chemicals as everything prepares the baby to come out into this world. So um, even though Mary is exhausted, perhaps her nervous system is still revved up and she can't fall asleep, so she just sits and stares at that little pink face. There's no indication that she's thinking about Gabriel's visit, uh, that she's wondering, wow, what will it be like to raise the Messiah? Um, She's probably more concerned with her own life. What kind of parent am I going to be? Am I going to be a good mom? And um, do I even know how to do this? Do I even know how to, to raise a son? She may have been no more than 15 or 16 years old at this time. Um, uh, Young women were betrothed to be married as early as 12. So um, her quiet thoughts, though, or or whatever's going on in her mind, are interrupted by an intrusion of of strangers. And I can hear one of the shepherds just outside saying, I found him. Hey, everybody, I found him. He's over here. Just like the angel said, look, a manger and everything. And then they all come running in, and they're all hyperactive and animated, and they're talking in loud voices, and everyone's waking up, and, and, uh, and they're saying, we saw angels, we saw angels. They said, come here. They gave us directions, like GPS, right to this spot, and wow, it's just, everything is just so amazing. And, uh, and, I, and that's so important, because they, they bring the warm glow. They, bring, they saw the glory, and they, they bring that there, and now... Mary remembers, you know, she saw an angel, and, and Joseph saw an angel in a dream. So, you know, it's all coming together now in, in making it truly a spiritual event, a heavenly moment. They're really connected at this point. We refer to Mary, Joseph, and Jesus as the Holy Family. And... Um, I'm not sure, let me see, next Sunday. Yeah, I think that next Sunday would be the Feast of the Holy Family. Um, It's celebrated between Christmas and and New Year's. The Holy Family, I, I like that. They are the mathematical foundation of a family, mother, father, and child, the earthly triad. And this is what you need to, to start a family. Father, mother, child. Their accommodations may not be five-star, no room service, but they're safe and they're snug. The holy family is taken care of. And they have this family, and they have each other. I remember when my kids were old enough to be out and on their own uh, before they were married, whenever... They would all be home at the same time, sleeping in their own rooms. I had this, this feeling of security and, and pleasure that all the birdies were in the nest uh, under our roof and all was safe and sound. This is a really pleasant experience for me. It's like, this is, this is as it should be. I, I would have not let any of them grow up if I could have prevented it. And now it's, it's, it's my grandchildren growing up, and, I'm, and, I, and I tell Caleb, stop it. Um, because, uh, because they become independent. And then you only have memories of them. And 
I mean, you know, you have contact. Thank God for FaceTime and Skype, but, but uh, it's not the same. And you, you don't have the same feeling when they're far away. You don't feel that safe and sound experience. So here's the Holy Family, and they're all together, and they're making do in this makeshift shelter, and, uh, and it's beautiful. This painting of the Holy Family and its rustic surrounding speaks to us. It speaks to us and it invites us to join them on Christmas. They open up their arms to us. Now, they didn't have a choice with the shepherds, but the, the Holy Family, if they know anything, they know that Jesus is, is not theirs. He's for the world. And the whole world is welcome. So where are you going for Christmas anyway? Um, well, you're going to join the Holy Family because that's where we go. That's what Christmas is about. It's about coming back. It's not like Jesus' birth is repeated every year, but it's timeless. And so we re-experience it every year. He's come into our world, light and life, hope against despair, salvation against being lost and desolate, love against hate or indifference. Everyone is welcome. Absolutely anyone can come. It has nothing to do with your worthiness or merit. I was reading the story of the prodigal son yesterday, just happened to be there in Luke's gospel, and he's squandered his inheritance, he's feeding pigs, he's starving, and he suddenly comes to himself. What a wonderful thing when I'm living a less purposeful life, and I come to myself and say, what the heck? It could be so much better, he's thinking, it could be so much better being a servant in my dad's house. And and though I don't deserve for him to reinstate me with the status of a son, I know he'll hire me as a servant. He knows I'm a good worker when I put my mind to it. So he goes home planning the speech he's going to deliver to his dad. And part of it, he says, I am no longer worthy to be your son make me as a hired hand. And he never gets that far. Because when his dad sees him coming down the road, he recognizes him, and he's filled with compassion for us, and he runs, and he grabs him, and he starts crying and kissing his neck. And absolutely anyone can come. I'm going to tell you something about yourself. You don't deserve Jesus. You're not worthy enough. And that has nothing to do with his love for you, his interest in you, and the fact that he wants to be close to you. That he wants to hold you in his presence. That he wants to keep you close. And that he will do this. And it's just our saying, yes. It's just our saying, yes. I, I want that. I'll... I'll take that. Think of all the Christmas gifts, all the gifts in my life that I've received 
that I didn't deserve. Of course, if I deserved it, it wouldn't be a gift, would it? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it's not only this earthly triad, Mary, Joseph, and, and Jesus, that invites us into their circle. It's also the heavenly triad, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who invites us into their circle on Christmas, into their eternal love that, that they've had for each other uh, for all time. The earthly triad is merely, they're, they're merely representatives of the heavenly triad with one of the heavenly triad members in both triads. And um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit invite you to Christmas with them. You may not see a warm glow on Christmas morning. There may even be a dark shadow that does pass over it at some point. You know, for some of us, it will be the first Christmas of loss, the first Christmas without so-and-so. But it doesn't matter. We don't have to see the, the warm glow. The Trinity will still, the triune God will still be present with us. So maybe you might want to do this. Um, If you have pen and pad, when you get into your car to go home or when you get home, write yourself a note. First thing Christmas morning upon getting out of bed, I will thank the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for life in Jesus Christ. I will thank them for the best Christmas ever in giving Jesus Christ to me. Glory to God in the highest. Would you stand with me, please? Your Christmas is going to be wonderful. I'm telling you, your Christmas is going to be wonderful. You chose to be here today. And there's something in all of this that God's spoken to your heart that you don't have to get the diamond necklace. You don't have to get the new car. You don't have to get anything other than what you leave with today. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.